So we've been rediscovering church over the last several weeks. And to rediscover something is to actually discover something that has been forgotten or ignored. And often the church is forgotten and ignored. But what we've been talking about is how church is not a place, it's not a building, it's people. It's, it's this, the collective, you know, where Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm right there with them. So church can happen anywhere. Well, then we talked about people's bad church experience and that church is imperfect. And we figured that out too, that church is imperfect. And that church is all about Jesus. It's not about all the trappings sometimes that we make when we think of church. And today I want to talk about the church being sacred, the sacredness of his church. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, that's a sacred statement. He's going to build his church. And when you think of the metaphors in scripture about the church, like we're the body of Christ, we're the bride of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the family of God. Those are, that's sacred language that we're talking about, sacred metaphors. And I think the most holy, sacred thing that I've come to discover about God, you have all of his attributes and characteristics, but maybe the most sacred, holy thing about God is the relationship of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit. The relationship between the Father and Jesus that goes into eternity past with this perfect others-centered love. It's perfect, always preferring. And Jesus brought us into the relationship he has with his father, not a relationship like it, but literally brought us into that relationship. You read it, it's all over the gospel of John. And when you can catch that, then you start thinking, wow, that's the most secure place anyone can ever be is in the relationship between the father and the son. The Apostle Paul saw this when he wrote to the Ephesians, when he said, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles or the non-Jewish folks about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now boldly and confidently come into his presence. Sacredness, the sacredness of the church. What I want to do the rest of our time before we take communion, we're going to take communion this morning, is I want to talk about the two sacred things that Jesus told the church to practice that we maybe need to rediscover, something that may have been ignored or forgotten, the two sacred things, and that is water baptism and communion. They're two things that I think can get ignored. They can become ritual. It can become all kinds of things and miss the sacredness, miss the heart behind it. 
So next week, we're offering water baptism as part of our, our worship time. If you've not, never been water baptized, um, I hope to convince you this morning to be, be, be water baptized. And for those of you that have been baptized, to celebrate together in, in what God wants to do. So I think there's two extremes when it comes to water baptism. First, there is, it's either too important or it's not important at all. It's, it's necessary for salvation or it's not necessary at all. How many remember that great theological motion picture called Nacho Libre? <laughs> and he's a friar and a cook in a monastery. But his real goal is to wrestle for the glory of God, put the masks on and the uniform, and it's a pretty classic movie. And he's with his wrestling partner, Escalante. Remember Escalante? And uh, he, says, uh, he says to Escalante, he says, I'm a little concerned about your salvation and such. He says, why have you not been baptized? And Escalante says, why are you always judging me? Because I believe in science. And so Jack Black, who's playing Nacho Libre, had a, a bowl of water. And he sneaks by and he just shoves his head in. Because that night they were wrestling Satan's cavemen. So he had to make sure he'd be baptized. So. But in all seriousness, this extremes just came about a few weeks ago. I don't know if you heard about this. And I'm not bashing the Catholic Church, our, our Catholic brothers and sisters. But I do think... A huge mistake has happened. There's a church in Phoenix where the priest they had found had done numerous baptisms, maybe up to a thousand. And he's, when he baptized, he said, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, that's not the correct formula. He was supposed to say, I baptize you because he's the representative of Christ. So Christ is literally baptizing and so they told thousands of people, it's right there on their website, that their baptisms were invalid because the formula wasn't correct. Good. <laughs> Jesus is not a formula. And it's not what you say, it's what's going on in the heart when you get baptized. And so I just think that's an extreme to go too far, but then there's an extreme to not pay any attention to it all, which I think both of those are wrong. I think there's probably four groups of people. I had three, and then I added a fourth listening to this message. There's those who have never been baptized, those who were baptized as infants. I was sprinkled in the Lutheran church as a baby. Um, those who have been participated in what we call believer's baptism. And then those who have been baptized as a kid and not sure if you should do it again or not. I hope to really help over the next few minutes with those questions that you may have about that. Jesus, when he instituted water baptism in the Great Commission, he died on the cross, he rose again, he spent 40 days with his disciples, and then he commissioned them. We see it in Matthew 28. He says, go therefore... Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Did you catch that? He said, go. He said, make disciples and baptize them. So part of being a disciple of Jesus is doing what he said to do and to get baptized. Very important to discipleship there. So let's look at a couple things about baptism. First of all, what is baptism? Baptism is a symbolic identification between Jesus and us. He identifies with us, and we identify with him. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why did Jesus get baptized? Anybody ever wondered that? Like, when you look at what baptism represents, it's like, why did Jesus get baptized? Let's look at it. In Mark chapter 1, we see a quick snapshot of Jesus' baptism. It says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John, John the Baptist, the first Baptist. Just kidding. John was baptized, he was baptized by John in the Jordan. That's important that it was the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, John saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon Jesus. And a voice came from the heavens. Jesus' father says, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit brought him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were serving him. Why did he get baptized? Well, what you see in here is Jesus is identifying with Israel and ultimately with all of humanity. Jesus is identifying with Israel. He was, a, he was Jew, Jewish through and through. And he was also ultimately identifying with, with you and me. I said the Jordan was important. There's a few of us that have been baptized in the Jordan. You, do you know where the Jordan River is? It's in Israel, guys. I have been there. Thank you. I wasn't going to say it, but I appreciate that. Um, so John's, he's in, the, he's in the Jordan, and he has a baptism of repentance. If you think of the history of Israel, they had a calling you know, to represent God and to order society and all kinds of things. And you know, as you read through the history of Israel, that they went away from the commands of the Lord. They didn't fulfill their their calling. And so they got exiled out of the land. And then by the time we get to Jesus in this scene here, the Romans had, you know, ruled the land. And, And the uh, land of Israel was always under the tyranny of, of somebody. And John's in the Jordan. And the reason that's important is when you go to the book of, of Joshua, you see Joshua leading the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land. If you remember, Moses was called to be the deliverer of Israel. And when they left Egypt, what happened afterwards? They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, right? And 
then finally, they make, what have, should have taken a couple weeks, it took 40 years, they make it to the promised land. God does a miracle and, and holds up the Jordan River so that the priests could take the Ark of the Covenant and the people follow behind them into the promised land. So that, that's, John is back at the place in the Jordan River where the children of Israel went in and received commands from God, how to live, etc. But they had swayed very far from that. And when we, we read the story of Israel, always see yourself, not just them. We, that, that's, that their story is our story. And the more you realize that, the, the more you gain from reading those stories. But people were coming to John. And they would say things like, well, what, what should we do in our repentance? And he'd say the most basic things. Hey, don't steal. Be a good person. I think in the Greek it was, don't be a jerk. <laughs> or literally, the Roman soldiers come to him, and they, they say, what should we do? These are Roman soldiers, and he says, don't take more money than you're supposed to. This is basic love your neighbor as yourself, kind of calling back, to repentance. And uh, so Jesus shows up who didn't need to repent, right? Why was he there? Well, Jesus was identifying and fulfilling the story of Israel and ultimately humanity. In there, there's the theme of baptism throughout Scripture. There's a, there's a theme, a pattern, if you will, of different types and shadows of what baptism symbolizes, right? And it, you would read in the Old Testament, and they passed through the waters. You know, think uh, the Red Sea. God, Moses, you know, uses his staff, opens up the Red Sea. Children of Israel go through to the other side, and you know, the water closes back in on the Egyptians. When we're seeing Jesus's baptism here, think. The Red Sea, he passed through the waters. He was fulfilling, you know, you got Noah and the flood and several other baptism references from the New Testament about the Old Testament. Israel's deliverer came up out of the water, just like the children of Israel were delivered through the Red Sea. Israel's deliverer, being Jesus, then went into the wilderness for 40 days. The number 40 in the Bible always means the number of deliverance. That's what the number 40 means. So they wandered for 40 years. He went to the desert to be tested just as Israel was tested, and they failed over and over and over again. And Jesus comes and he passes all the tests. He, there, that's, there's some serious Old Testament stuff going on right before our eyes. Sometimes we can blow through things and realize, not really get the heart of what's going on there. Jesus fulfilled what I have failed to do. Jesus fulfilled what we all have failed to do, what Israel failed to do, what Adam and Eve failed to do. He fulfilled it for us. So Jesus identifies with us in his baptism. He asks us to identify with him in our baptism. That's what he's doing there. When we baptize people in our tank, somebody's, this is, represents the person. They're in the tank and they're dry. And with Christ, they, they died, were buried, and are raised to new life. That's the, the symbolism of what water baptism means. It's an it's a outward or a physical 
analogy of a profound spiritual reality. We are identifying with his life, death, and resurrection. Now, Jesus in John in Luke chapter 12, he says this. He says, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. This baptism is, was a type and shadow of him going to the cross, being buried, and, and rising on the other side. Jesus went into the waters of death, and he came out on the other side. Powerful imagery. And then the Apostle Paul, in Romans, he says this about our identification with Jesus through our baptism. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So first of all, baptism is symbolic. Secondly, baptism is sacred. It's a sacred pledge of commitment and an act of obedience. I think I liken water baptism a lot to like a wedding ceremony. Um, you know, you, 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 a couple, husband and wife come together and they make their vows, their commitment to, you know, be there for each other for life. Jesus has already done his part of the, the commitment. He just asks us to identify with him and participate. I want to put up a bunch of scripture verses out of the book of Acts. That should be our next slide. And boom. That's just a sample in the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church where someone believed and they were immediately baptized. Believe, baptized, believe, baptized. There was not a, a long window in this, this time here. So, so believing and baptism went hand in hand. Believing and baptism go hand in hand. Just like marriage and vows go together. It's a public ceremony. It really is. I know a lot of people sometimes are nervous about being out front getting baptized. I get that. But it's between you and Jesus. And your church is just here to love and, and, and support you and walk together. How many people would feel comfortable if you were going to get married, but your spouse said, can we keep it a secret? <laughs> you don't keep things like that a, a secret. Hey, I'll be your friend, but will you not tell anybody we're friends? <laughs> that seems kind of strange. So again... Baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it is important to our discipleship in following Jesus in commitment and obedience to what he's asked of us. Then, so it's, it's symbolic, it's sacred, and then baptism is a singular event that need not be repeated. It's a singular event that need not be repeated. There is nothing magical about the water itself. That, that the, the water doesn't do anything but get you wet. But it's a symbolic of what's going on inside of us. We're not saved by baptism. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul makes it clear when he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's not a work that we do to get us saved. 
but it's something we do in our discipleship to Jesus. Baptism doesn't need to be repeated every time we blow it. That'd be like telling a married couple that every time you get in a fight, you got to have another ceremony and do your vows again. And for some couples, that could get expensive, right? <laughs> That's a lot, of, a lot of wedding dough there. But in reality, we, we have to remember it's a singular event. It's a ceremony. At this church, at Novation, we don't baptize infants. We do what's called child dedication. We're, we're looking at the pattern of Jesus that on the eighth day, he was dedicated in the temple, and then he was baptized as an adult. We're not going to be legalistic with our hermeneutics on this, that you have to be 30 to get baptized because that's when Jesus got baptized. We can, you can get off track pretty quick. But what we do is we dedicate children, and then we practice believer's baptism. So when someone feels like, hey, I'm ready to follow Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, I want to show my obedience and discipleship to him, I want to declare it to my church family and in all the heavenly realms that I am with Jesus. That's what baptism really is. Now, how old should somebody be to be baptized? Many of you parents have younger children. I don't know. I know many denominations and church movements have things called confirmation or classes, and you get to a certain age. That's when you can do, you know, you become a member of the church, and we don't do that. <laughs> it's, we're non-denominational, Whew, thankfully. And, but there is an emphasis on the parenting part. Like, parents, you are the chief discipler of your children. Not me, not Mark, not anybody else. It's family discipleship. So I'd talk it over with your kids. When, when do they want to express that, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus? That's between you and them. We're going to do baptism next week. I'm going to do a little quick class thingy before at 930 in the classroom here, the first one in the hallway. And love to have you sign up. I'm sure there'll be an opportunity on the website plus an email, you know, going out where you, you can do that. But um, here's the potential elephant in the room. What if I was baptized as an infant? What should I do? I was sprinkled, baptized as an infant, and my parents were doing best with the knowledge that they had. I think it was kind of like them dedicating me to the Lord. They, they didn't think through or see scripture uh, the way they did later in life. And, and I got baptized. Once I became a follower of Jesus, when I turned 25, I got baptized, water baptized. And it's just part of that discipleship process. So if you were baptized as an infant, I get it. There's sometimes there's familial uh, you know, taboos. Hey, we, we baptize you as an infant, you're in. And the, 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 the thing, emphasis with that is, is some of the more Orthodox or Catholic churches believe that the baptism of an infant removes original sin. And you know, Jesus is the one that removes sin in what, by what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. I also respect infant baptism as having pastor friends who do it. They're ushering their kids into the covenant. And I understand the symbolic of that too. And I wouldn't separate from anybody over it. But this is our church where we talk about these things. So, you know, if, what if I was baptized in an infant? Thank your parents. But I still think there's a moment that you make a decision, not for you as an infant to be baptized, but you make the decision 
regardless of how old you are, to say, I want to be baptized. I want to show my, my faith and my trust in Jesus, have that little ceremony in front of God and witnesses, so to speak. And, and uh, their baptisms is a wonderful act that Jesus gave to us to display what's going on inside. Let me shift gears. The second sacred thing that Jesus gave to the church to practice is communion, or what we call the the Lord's Supper. Why do we take communion? Well, the Apostle Paul, he was sharing with the church at Corinth, and he was repeating um, what Jesus had told his disciples. He said, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You guys, I'm wearing a wedding ring. How many people are wearing a wedding ring? All right, your wedding ring is a reminder of the covenant that you made with your spouse. It's a reminder that I could be, heaven forbid, thousands of miles away from Janelle. Pray that never happens, but... um, I would still have a reminder of the vows that her and I made, the covenant that we made together. It's a reminder. And this ring also lets the world know you're taken, right? You're spoken for. And every time you take communion, it's almost like looking at your wedding ring to remember what Jesus did for you and what he did for us. We need reminders. We tend to forget. We tend to forget sometimes and reminders are good for us and every time we take communion we're reminded of what Jesus did for us and I want to tell you this you don't have to be in a church building to take communion you can take communion as much as you want there's nothing overdoing it because families can take communion together you know around the table or or you know couples can take it together home groups can take communion together it doesn't have to be here or in a a church building. The sacredness of communion is not where I take it. It's what's going on in my heart when I take it. It's It's a faith reminder. So every time we take communion, what are we reminded of? Five things. We are reminded that that he lived. We remember that he lived. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came into this world, became one of us, so that he could live and die and rise again for us. So we remember that he lived. He was a real person. We remember that he died. When Jesus died, he defeated our enemies of sin, of death. He defeated death by his going into the waters of death and coming out on the other side, he defeated death and and he actually made it obsolete. Jesus will never die again. He's in a body that cannot die. And because of his death, and then we remember that he rose from the grave because of his resurrection, we're going to die physically this 
body is a shell that's going to be left behind. But at the resurrection, he's going to give all of us new bodies that can't get sick, that can't sin. Look forward to that. There will be no sorrow or any of that. We'll be in, in, in the same type of glorified body that Jesus had. So we remember that he rose. And then we, we remember that he lives in us. Like, look around the room. Seriously, like, turn your head with me. He lives in the person sitting next to you. He lives. He, he's, he's with us when we gather. He lives in us. He chose to dwell with us. I think that's amazing. And then we remember that he's coming again. That's what Paul said. Every time we eat, we proclaim his death, but we also are proclaiming he's coming again. Jesus is one day going to come and he's going to set all things right, set things perfect. You can get that if you want to. He's going to set all things perfect. And when that day comes, he's going to create the new heavens, the new earth. And we're going to live with him and one another forever and ever. So we're going to take communion. What I want you to do is get up from your seat. and You can come grab the elements. Would you take it back to your seat? And then we'll take it together as a family.
he was betrayed Jesus was with his disciples he was washing their feet telling them if you go through John 14 through 17 it's the whole thing that was going on in the upper room he was loving them he was giving them instructions and he took bread and he broke it and he he said this bread represents my body that's going to be broken for you he said do it in remembrance of me let's take the bread After supper, it says that Jesus lifted a cup of wine to heaven and he blessed it. He told his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant. All, the old, all that Old Testament animal sacrifice has been, will be fulfilled in my death. And it's the blood of the new covenant that we can, because of Jesus, we can boldly and confidently come to the Father and come to him. Let's take the cup. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our minds and hearts to the riches that we have because of Jesus, that we have everything we need for life and godliness because of you, Lord. Thank you for sharing your very life with us. Thank you for sharing your relationship with the Father, that we can call you not only Lord and Savior, but we can call you our brother. We're in your family. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would move in your grace and power and live and we would speak and think and act as disciples of Jesus. We know how short we fall in so many areas of of our lives and our walks, but Lord, you're growing us. You're maturing us. And I just pray for all my brothers and sisters right now to, to walk in the newness of life that we have because of Christ, that we would love one another, Lord Jesus, as you've loved us. In your name, amen.